So, and I hope nobody be, feel bad about it. I don't know anybody's names. I won't call you out. You know, hey, Joe, how come you're late? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So uh, just keep coming, invite people, and I pray that God would help us and bless us. And I appreciate what the pastor has said about revival. I don't know about you, but I think in America we desperately need revival. From the church house to the White House. We, we need revival in this country. We need a change. And I think we, all of us, should be almost uh, uh, not even aware uh, in life that you don't recognize the drift in our culture, let alone in our churches. But sadly, some of that drift has drifted into our churches and we acquiesce to the things of the world instead we're to we're to stand against them uh, we're not to go along we're not to go along with the tide and uh, float down the stream of life we're to go upstream and be faithful and stay right with god and uh, fall from our pedestals of pride and humble ourselves before a holy god and uh, you know the verse, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles, uh, chapter seven, and verse number fourteen. We're to humble ourselves and pray, and seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. And it's such a necessity. Uh, it was a great preacher in a, a bygone day. I heard him uh, several times in my life as a youth, and even as a young man, and. Uh, listened to him on the radio for a long, long time, Brother Lester Roloff. And uh, he said he died in the fall of 1982. So that was a long, long time ago. But he said back before he died, it's revival for survival. And if some of those old preachers that I heard as a kid, man, if they saw what was going on today, they'd probably think we're in the middle of the tribulation period already. But God help us as, as Christians to be what we ought to be. And I, I'm not interested in fitting in with this whole world. I don't have, the world's never done, a, done me any favors. It's, it's, I, like, uh, I like the earth. I like the trees and the flowers and the streams and the waterfall out in front of the church. I like all that. I think that's fake, though, or it dried up overnight. It wasn't out there when we went to lunch, I don't think. But it uh, must be a spring or something. But uh, I tell you, this, this old world, the worldly people and the godless society in which we live in, uh, may God help us to stand against it. I want you to look in your book, if you would, tonight to uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. Very, very familiar portion of scripture. First Kings chapter 21. And I know you know this story. I don't need to read it all. I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses, six verses, and talk to you tonight on what I feel like the Lord would have me discuss for your hearing. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, Hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, 
Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? He said unto her, After he took his thumb out of his mouth. (laughs) That's not in the Bible, but I think that's true. And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money or else. If it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. I want to give you a little allegory tonight. An allegory is a story that's not necessarily true, but it emphasizes a truth. And I pray that you would be helped from my initial thoughts and then just three quick points tonight. And that'll be the message. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. we're thankful tonight for your goodness. We appreciate the young men singing the song about revival and how important it is. And uh, for the folk coming in, uh, even some, as the pastor said, right from work. And uh, God bless others that may be on the road right now trying to get here uh, through traffic and other uh, things that are in their way. And I pray that you'd help me tonight. I pray that the spirit of the Lord would have control of my mind and my lips and my heart and my thoughts. And I pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. You may know this young couple. You may be this pair. Perhaps they are your children. They fell in love in high school. They really, they were the perfect couple. They complimented complimented one another. He was so thoughtful. Her eyes sparkled at the mere mention of his name. Everyone knew they were meant for each other. Everyone knew even before they graduated that that would be the case someday. He was pretty good with his hands, and so he bought a little fixer-upper long before he had even asked her to marry him. He had a pretty good job, and he'd work on that place every spare moment of his time. For one of these days, he knew that place would be theirs. He knew it. She knew it. Everyone knew it. Time came to paint the living room. And uh, she chose a color he didn't really care for. He wasn't overexcited about it, but it really didn't matter. Now, in parentheses, I'd like to say right now, one time in the 53 years that we've been married, I thought I knew what was the best color for a room to be painted. I was wrong. She has always been right. 
There was really no point of contention for this young couple. Now, that's not an allegory. That part was the truth in parentheses. Christmas came, and they were engaged. Everyone in their circle of friends was excited. Their family members were glad. The day came, she was in a white dress, and he in a black tuxedo. (laughs) I heard about a little boy went to a wedding with his grandmother, And when the girl walked down the aisle in a beautiful white gown, the little fellow reached up and jerked on his grandmother's skirt and she looked down, he looked up. She said, what do you want? He said, why does that girl have a white, big white dress on? She said, oh, honey, this is the greatest day of her life. This is the the day that she's dreamed about. She is so happy today. That's why she's wearing white. I almost said the funeral went on. The wedding went on, and the boy noticed. He pulled on his grandmother's dress, and she looked down, and he looked up, and he said, then why is that boy wearing black? (laughs) It took a little while for some of you to get that, or you don't think it's politically correct. Where do you get this one? (laughs) I heard about a man. He sent his picture to the Lonely Hearts Club, a bunch of women. He got a letter back after a while. There's nobody here this lonely. So anyway. (laughs) The early chapters of the book of this little couple's life were predictable. A baby, another baby, and a third little boy. Three Children in a house, a starter home, really, a small, too small starter home. Scuff marks on the wall, those painted walls, money problems arose, credit cards got, over, uh, got uh, way too much on them. And so he, uh, the dad went uh, overtime and worked and he'd come home from working all day and the house maybe was somewhat in disarray and he wasn't happy about that and the kids were screaming and she was stressed out with mountains of uh, laundry and dirty diapers and meals to fix and dirty diapers and uh, babies to watch and dirty diapers and more dirty diapers. And so he took overtime more and more and more. His excuse was, we just need the money, dear. And really, he wanted to be homeless. These high school sweethearts began to grow apart. There was not anything happening on Valentine's Day. Birthdays went by unnoticed. And even an anniversary or two. And he was the first He said, I've got to have a little freedom. I I want to go out with the boys like I used to. It upset her, but he went anyway. And so in this day and age, she turned to uh, the chat room and social media. And she just wanted a little bit of freedom herself. And she met lots of new and understanding and interesting people. And the guy, the guy she'd never met, she'd never seen him, 
But this stranger seemed to be so sympathetic, so understanding, so thoughtful, said just the right things. She hadn't heard kind words like that in a long time. The wedding pictures were put away, packed away in a box. He soon found somebody else that supposedly made him happy. This lonely young mother, she got a babysitter for the weekend and went and spent two nights and three days with that chat room guy. The chains of love were broken and the walls of indifference and bitterness and tears were built between that once loving couple brick by brick by brick by brick. And now there's joint custody and weekend visits and life is now divided and broken and bound by sin. You see, in our Bible, in the word of God, the church, that's you and me, the church, we are compared to a bride. And Christ is the groom. It's a divine romance played out on the stage of life. We were betrothed at Calvary. And thank God, one day, the marriage will be consummated in the glory. The music, the music that resonates through our souls has lyrics like this. Oh, love that will not let me go. Jesus, the lover of my soul. Jesus, the very thought of thee. Oh, how I love Jesus. You know, when you were first saved, Jesus was the dearest friend it seemed like one could ever expect to have in life. His command was our first concern. We were so free and full of love for him that our theme song went something like this. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. But now we've been saved 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years or more. And what happened to that fictitious couple sometimes happens in folks' spiritual lives. Our love, that first love that we once had, it gets left at a crossroads, maybe some crucible of conflict, a congregational upheaval, a colleague's betrayal, and our love for Christ gets adversely affected. The church pew now feels like a prison. And those Bible standards that we adhered to and Those convictions that we once had, they feel like a noose around our neck or a chain around our leg. 
the things that we once did with joy and love and gratitude have become questions. Why does the church require that? Can you show me chapter and verse for that, pastor? Do we have to go to church every night this week? No, just till Wednesday. You know, I don't, uh, I don't really agree with the pastor and the church on that particular item. Now, I'm going to just say this. It's not in my notes, and I've been pretty note-bound so far. <laughs> but if you're a mother and dad, and you sit in the front seat of your car going home from church, and you're criticizing the pastor and the church, and you've got kids sitting in the back seat, you need to go to the hospital and have a brain transplant. Those things settle down into a child's life and it may not show up when they're six or eight or ten. But wait till they're 16, 18, and 20. I, I, I see the exit ramps in churches. Your pastor's wife and I, she went to my father's church after we had moved away. Her family did. She's asked me just about it. coming. And the preacher said it the other day, coming from the whole, from the airport. We talked about people. We've talked about people every service. Not we're not. I mean, critical. Well, I might have been, but she hasn't. But I'm just being facetious. But folks go from the fellowship, and that revival atmosphere gets dulled by. Spiritual problems. We go from that circumspect carefulness that marked our love and commitment for Jesus Christ. You know, there's all kinds of new groups now. There are churches all over probably this part of the country. I haven't seen any, but I see them just about everywhere I go. They have some of the dumbest names for their organization. The river. The basketball hoop. The whatever that makes no sense whatsoever. It's got Baptist out on that sign, kind of helps you know what might go on in here every once in a while. God help us. They leave those credos, the old fundamentals of the faith, and they laugh at the old time mores. And you try to explain, some of you with young children, you know what I'm talking about. You try to explain to those kids on the way home from church, how come the Joneses don't go here anymore? Where are the Smiths? I, you know, I really like those kids. What, what happened to them? They're gone. Why don't they believe what we used to believe? There are three quick things tonight that I want you to consider that I believe contribute to the gravitational pull away from that love relationship that you ought to enjoy and perhaps you once enjoyed with Jesus Christ. I think some people have lost their first love. They no, they no longer treasure the company that they once enjoyed with Jesus and his people. 
They no longer believe that his commands are of any concern to them at all. Now the Bible says in the book of the Revelation chapter 2, it didn't say they lost their first love. It says they left their first love. They left it. Now, I've been traveling on the road as an evangelist since 1976. I was in a church somewhere. I can't even remember where it was. And somebody, I mean, and I hope if you, if you know this person or if you've got a relative that this person and some other church, don't tell them. But I got done preaching at this church and stayed in this hotel. And I think it was the, it was the last night of the meeting. And uh, one of the men of the church gave me, I, was, I flew there gave me a boat that big, you know, two or three masts, all kinds of fabulous detail in that thing. I don't know where he, if he did it or if he bought it or I don't know how he got it. How in the world am I going to get that home on an airplane? If there was a river there, I could have floated home, I guess, with the thing. I had to leave it in the hotel room. I was preaching someplace. Now, you young kids aren't going to know what I'm talking about right now, and I feel sorry for you. But you could go to my father's house. His widow lives there uh, still, and I would guarantee you down in the basement, there is an eight-track tape player with God is the only one in the world that knows how many eight-track Tapes there are eight tracks for a you know they were about like this, about that long, about that thick. And I was preaching someplace and I said something like that. My dad's got an eight-track player, and this was probably 20 years ago, and people laughed then. Now people are saying, My goodness, was was that something that Edison uh, made? <laughs> And so I said something about that in, in, in church one night. And the next night, a lady brought a whole uh, shopping bag full of eight-track tapes to give to my dad. And I looked, there was Tennessee Ernie Ford singing the Little Brown Church in the Vale. There was Elvis Presley's famous gospel hits. All of that was in there. You say, what did you do with that, Brother Green? In hotels. They have dressers. I never put my clothes in a dresser in a hotel room because I'm worried about whoever was there before me. Now, my wife, she does it. You know, she puts half the towels in. But I, I'm not going to. Just, it just bothers me. And so I put all that stuff in there and I closed it. And I, and I left it. I could just imagine the next guy that got that hotel room and went to put his clothes in there and say, what in the world is all this stuff? I left it. Now I'm saying to you, child of God, there are some things that you need to leave. Leave them behind. There's no sense dragging them into your Christian walk because they will weigh you down. Then I think some have lost their way. They have a family tragedy. You know, this happened to my daughter, this happened to my son, this happened to my mom, my dad, whatever. Maybe some personal problem or you got offended or got hurt. Maybe you've observed some hypocrisy in some people. 
I was preaching somewhere a couple, three years ago. And uh, the pastor told me this story. He told me about a lady who had come to church. She'd gotten born again. They had a Christian school. That's just part of the story. Uh, this lady had come. She'd gotten born again. Her husband was not saved. They tried to get him saved. He'd come to church once in a while. She'd been saved less than a year. And she's hearing the preaching and she's separating and she's getting her life straightened out and she's praying for her husband and wanting him to get right. And so one, one day, uh, it was a Friday night, her husband came home from work and he said, honey, uh, there's a great movie over at the, the Bijou or whatever the name of the theater was. And uh, I, let's go tonight. I'll take you out to dinner and we'll go to the movie. She'd been saved less than a year. She said, dear, I, I'd love to go out to eat, but I don't want to go to a movie. Oh, it's something I really want to see. I, re- I don't want to go see that movie. I don't want to do that. Well, he talked her into it. They went out to eat. Finally, they go to the movie. And they're standing in line to get into the movie theater to buy their uh, ticket to go in and watch whatever it was. And uh, she looked up, you know, I don't know, 8, 10, 15 people in front of her. And a man turned around. Hey, sister, how are you? It was the principal from the Christian school. Going to the same movie that this young Christian did not want to go to, she acquiesced to her husband, and I'll have to give her credit for that, but shame on the principal of that school. Amen, Brother Green. Some people lose their way because of hypocrisy that they see in others. Not only people leave their first love and lose their way, but I think some are just plain lost and never did really get saved. And sometimes young people coming up, you know, I think they try to hurt the church of their past and perhaps adversely affect their parents that forced them to go to church. My goodness, what in the world's wrong with forcing a kid to go to church? You make them brush their teeth, don't you? Make them take a bath, don't you? You make them put clothes on before they go outside, don't you? My soul. I think some young people and some folk, they just want to exhibit what is in the depths of their unconverted heart. You know what the Bible says there in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus talking, he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is saved. They said, well, I prophesied in your name. I did many wonderful works. I cast out devils. I did all these wonderful things. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I think one of the large problems in our fundamental churches even is unconverted church members. People that go to church, they're faithful, never hardly miss, but they've never truly been born again. Listen, you could be a member of every church in this county. And if you're not saved, you're going to die and go to hell one of these days. That's just as plain as anybody can put it. This freedom 
is seen as the be-all and the end-all of life. And just like that couple that I talked about who fell out of love and into the arms of someone else, you overlook the complications. When we trade treasure for that which does not profit, we are in serious spiritual difficulty. Esau sold his birthright. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Judas sold his apostleship for a potter's field. I want to say this. I broke this down. Old timers, sometimes folk look at the old timers and say they are out of touch with the times. But the truth of the matter is they are in touch with the God of the Bible. I would rather be accused as an old-time, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist than to be any of this new brand stuff that's going around. There are, the wise man in Proverbs said, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Proverbs 10 and verse 2. And the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul. I think many people have divorced themselves from God to sing some silly song on a Sunday somewhere and seemingly enjoy the hypocrisy of a life that has nothing to do with the work of God and the things of God and the plan of God and the book of God. God help us to stand still and stand up And just like Naboth. My piece of property is not for sale. My family heritage is not for sale. My church membership is not for sale. My faithfulness faithfulness to God is not for sale. My commitment to Christ is not for sale. My desire for what the Holy Ghost can do in the life of a believer is not for sale. God help us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Frankly, all other ground is sinking sand. God help us to stand and stay faithful to the things of God. I was preaching in a meeting in uh, Statesville, North Carolina. And uh, the preacher is a good friend of mine. And he called me up, I don't know, maybe less than two weeks before the revival meeting. And I don't like this at all. I'm not interested in it at all. But he called me up and he said, Brother Tim, uh, would you be offended if I had another speaker preach with you? Well, you know, as an evangelist, you can just figure out right now, I'm getting half the love offering that I would have got, you know. (laughs) Carnally speaking now. You want me to be honest, don't you? And uh, I said, well, it's your church. You can do what you want to do. I said, who is this guy? He didn't, he named him. I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who this guy was. 
And he said, you know, he said, by the way, this guy is a very good singer. And I'm not over, I'm not interested in that either. And uh, I said, okay, you know, whatever you want to do. So I got to, I flew in there and preacher picked me up. And he took, they had a house, a three or four bedroom house that was owned by the previous pastor. And he had given it to the church. And so that's where he put me up. And so I got you know, I looked around. I took the, the smallest room because I didn't know what this other guy was like. I didn't even know who he was. And so I took that room and, and he got the nice room. And uh, he got there and I didn't know him. And I'm going to spend a whole week with this guy. Well, long story short, we became, we, we had wonderful fellowship together. He's just a great guy, good singer and had uh, uh, sang the right stuff and I had a very interesting testimony how God had saved him. His, uh, his brother had gotten saved to become a preacher, and he was not a Christian. He was in uh, 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 Nashville in that kind of country music kind of a thing, and uh, he had done some work. He was on an old television show, uh, not the good one that Andy Griffith was in, uh, Mayberry. What was that thing called? No, the one with Barney. Yeah, that one. He was in the one when Andy Taylor was a, or Andy Griffith was his name, I guess, uh, was a lawyer or something. And so he was for, yeah, I don't know what the name of that is. You guys are beyond me now. Uh, but, that, you know, that really probably the, the best Hollywood films or movies or shows or whatever ever made was uh, Mayberry. I mean, that was a pretty wholesome thing when you look back at it compared to what's going on today. My soul, my soul. They went to church. They sang the old hymns. They did all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I got way off track here. Anyway, oh, he worked. He was on that other, that uh, lawyer show with him. And he got in real bad shape. Uh, financially and was out of business like most of those people end up getting that don't really hit it real big. And so he went to uh, Nashville because he had been in those shows and uh, those people do some things right as far as money is concerned. They have an organization called ASCAP. He told me all stuff. I didn't know this. ASCAP and what you do if you're in a show, you get a, a residual for every one you're in. And so he was down on his luck. I mean, he was broke. And so he went to the head of ASCAP, the, the company there in Nashville, or where I guess, yeah, it was in Nashville. And he said, I was on the, this show years ago. And he said, I wonder if I have anything. And he said, uh, and the secretary went in the back and she came back and says, yes, you do. And he says, well, uh, I'd like to have it. She said, well, do you want it in, you want a check? He said, no, I'll just take cash. She said, we don't have Twenty-four thousand and some dollars in cash laying around there. The guy had twenty-four thousand dollars, and it kind of bailed him out and got him uh, straightened out. And he got with his brother, and his brother won him to Christ. And now he's running around the country singing and th- that kind of stuff, and just you know doing. He's a good good boy. And so he gave his testimony one night. Some of the stuff that I just told you, and he ended his testimony with. These words. He mentioned a lady. I don't, you know, I don't know her. And if, you're, if she's your favorite 
uh, singer, you know, you can get over it. Uh, and, and oh, and I, he told this story, and then, <laughs> you know, I'm 74 years old now, and so I don't know how many years ago it was. I don't know how they do this. They sign you up for uh, AARP, or they want you to. I never signed up for it because I'm not retired. I don't plan on retiring, and if, w- if I was going to sign up for anything, it wouldn't be with them. Amen. And so uh, I got some of this out of the AARP magazine that came to me, but he started me down the path of this woman named Amy Grant. And she started out in Christian music. She's now married to a guy by the name of Vince Gill. I don't know him from Bluegill. And she said in the article, and he told some of this also. He said she was in a studio and Gill was in a studio and they were collaborating on an album or a record. And she said in the article, she said, when I was, met Vince Gill for the first time in that studio, she said, I felt just like a little girl. And I wanted him to touch me. She said that we were looking over a piece of uh, music and I put my hand on his shoulder and I looked over his shoulder and he went, no way, lady. I'm a married man. He's a bar. He's a nightclub singer. He's he's out in the world doing nothing that amounts to anything positive. He's lost as a goose. She grew up in church. She started singing in church. She's quote unquote a Christian. As time passed, They divorce their mates. And if I have my story right, they're married to this day. And that was about 10, 12 years ago. In the AARP magazine that I had, she was being interviewed. And the interviewer talked about her Christian faith and talked about Gil, what he was doing, the nightclub scene and all that. And the interviewer said this, and I quote, You know, Amy, you're a long ways from where you started. How did you get here? And her reply was, little by little by little by little. And that's how it happens. That's how you start that walk down a road that leads to heartache and heartbreak and horror stories and illustrations and evangelist messages, little by little by little. A little coldness. Doesn't really matter if I miss church. Doesn't matter if we go off on vacation and we don't go to church. 
I've gone on vacation. We don't go on vacation. I'm an evangelist. I'm not interested in going on vacation. I travel all the time. Vacation to me is stay home. <laughs> when we've been on vacations and go to churches, I honestly, if I owned a cat, and I've never owned a cat in my life, I have no desire to own a cat. But if I owned a cat, and he went to some of those churches that I've had to go to, you know, just hit and miss, and get there, and you got to go, you want to go, I would have that cat sold to somebody that didn't like cats. We ought, we're supposed to go to church. That's where we get our help. That's where we get fed. That's where we encouragement to other people. You, you, you honestly think that you could sit in this building tonight and there's somebody in this room that's looking at you and it encourages them that you're here. It's a blessing to them that you came. Because if you weren't here, they'd be sitting around where Joe is. I wonder where the Smiths are. That's just the way people are. It's human nature. As the sun sets on this message, can you see in your mind's eye tonight, faithful, diligent father. And night after night after night and day after day after day, as the sun set below the horizon, he would wend his way up to the top of a little hill and look down the road. so often you turn around after searching the horizon and seeing no one. He goes up there one eve and way, way down the road there's a little speck. Tiny little speck. It seems to be moving in his direction. It's pretty slow. He's not moving too fast. And as he gets closer, he sees a figure with disheveled clothes and a ragged-looking life that's been wounded by sin. But hope, hope rises in that father's breast. And he he gets up to a little higher vantage point to get a, a little better look and he said it does it, it, it looks like he may I don't know if it is but oh but oh he is his pace is a lot slower than it once was but he seems to be he seems to recognize me and in a limping trot into the arms of his father comes the prodigal the prodigal And I think the father, I can hear him speak. (laughs) Get out the best robe. Get a ring. Get some shoes. Kill the fatted calf. He that was dead is alive. He that's been gone and lost is found again. How many of you in this room, I don't want you to raise your hand. 
But I want you to answer the question in your heart. Do you have a prodigal? Do you have someone you love that once sat in these pews? Maybe a son or a daughter. Maybe a mate. Maybe you're a young person. Mom and dad used to be here. You know, we have prodigal parents nowadays. Not just prodigal sons. Prodigal parents. You have someone you... You know, maybe the guy that won you to Christ. He's not even here anymore. He's not even going to church anywhere. All I'm asking you to do tonight is this. To somehow in your mind's eye and picture it on that screen in your mind. The names, the faces of somebody you love and somebody you care about. And somebody you have some holy concern for. That they would find their way back. To a place of fellowship. And a right relationship. With God. I don't think every prodigal's lost. I don't think everybody that quits church is lost. I don't believe that. I think some are. I'm going to tell you something. When you get born again, you have a desire in your heart to be in the house of God. It's just natural. It's just natural. Seems like when you're a young Christian, you may have more of that. But again, some of those things I mentioned tonight, maybe something that I didn't mention, but the Holy Ghost took it to your heart and said, that's what it is. That's what's put the damper on my heart. That's what made me cool off. Friend, I would encourage you to get past it, get over it, get beyond it. There is nothing in this world worth keeping you from being faithful to God. Nothing. I mentioned in Sunday school, I've been on the phone more today than I wanted to be. But a preacher friend of mine's daughter was killed over the weekend. Now there's, it's just more complicated now than it's ever been since the opening news. The way of the transgressor is still hard. And matter of fact, it might even be harder today than it ever was. 